0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, Lead Pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Father, in the name of Jesus, your word is lamp unto our feet and light unto our parts. We receive illumination there is something that the word says about your spirit, it can melt hardened hearts, it can make flesh out of hearts of stone, and we trust you for that miracle, that every hardness of heart will give way to the teaching of your word, and it's efficacy thereof, thank you Father, in Jesus' mighty name, amen, alright, I want you to get ready for the teaching of the word. Today, What a month we're having, isn't it? Um, I want to start from the anchor text of the month, which is Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. It says, Come now, let us reason together, though your sins be red as scarlet. It says, I will make it as white as wool. And I I just want to say something very important. It seems like every service I draw a different point from this. It's because there's so much to draw from that. And here is what I want you to know. There must be a unanimous agreement. Let me take that again. There must be a unanimous agreement that we are scarlet. It's a principle of the provision of grace. I've I've called it being poor in spirit. You have to agree that we are who God says we are, apart from his grace. And we are who God says we are when we by faith receive his grace. It's very important. So John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and verse 9. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So listen, we must receive the wisdom of God regarding what is scarlet and what is crimson. We live in a generation that is colorblind, that doesn't know the difference between white or black anymore. And in this case, I want to add all red, you know. But it's very important that we agree, first of all, what is scarlet. You know, and that's why on Sunday, I talked about receiving first and foremost, the priority and the wisdom of God in His Word. And giving it priority above any other wisdom, any other people group. All right. Understanding that truth is not based on popularity. It's not based on what um, a particular culture endorses or even rejects. Truth is based on the scripture, based on the wisdom of God's word. It's very important. One more time, you must agree that what God calls scarlet is scarlet and what God calls crimson is crimson. Because if you don't agree that it is scarlet, how then will he make it white as wool well and white as snow? It's so important. At the same time, you know, we are not moral police, you know, going up and down with um, a, a superiority complex, trying to point out, several ways were better than people. No, that's not our approach. In fact, when I want to teach on things like this, I often like to refer to the approach of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You see the humility of it. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. You know, so there must be a disposition in our presentation That reminds people, listen, we are not saying this because we're better than you, because we feel, you know, by our own works. We're all the same. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say, I'm chief of sinners. Meaning, whatever you think you've done, I've done worse. So, I'm not preaching righteousness because I feel that in and of myself I'm better than you. In fact... I'm saying the opposite. I want you to see me as the vilest of offender and see that if God could save me, who else then can he not save? And that's what Paul is saying in verse 16. He says, Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first, in me the chief, <laughs> Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them who should hereafter believe in him to everlasting life. So, God has made a pattern out of my life, a testimony out of me. You know, that if God can use someone like this, then who else can he not use? Who else can he not see? So, when we are preaching um, and are teaching subjects like this, it is not out of superiority at all. In fact, it's the opposite. It's to say, See what God has made of my life. He can do it out of you also if you would just let him. And that's, that's, that's true. So you, we have to understand as Christians that this is our disposition when we reach out to the lost. All right. This is our disposition. We must make sure that we don't have any air of superiority because there is no such air. Guess what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by grace, by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible teaches. We must wear the badge of that theology because that's the only truth there is. All right? So, um, when you are winning souls, you must carry this as a consciousness. Mind you, someone can be insane and be a great colleague at work. He can be insane and be a great sportsman. Listen, you don't have to totally cancel people. In fact, it's it's bad strategy as a soul winner. Jesus was called friend of sinners. Listen, I've talked about this vulnerable approach to holiness, you know, where you feel you can be contaminated. You know, he calls us lights. It says, and the light shines in darkness, and darkness cannot comprehend it. Listen, when you understand you are so established in the light of God, there is nothing darkness can do about it. It takes off that vulnerability, all right, that makes your evangelical work so weak. And it strengthens you to go out there, you see, and to truly love. Listen, you have to understand our evangelical strategy. We don't win over sinners through disgust. I don't know what strategy some Christians have as if when they see how much you hate them, they will change. That's not the way of the Bible and it makes no sense. It doesn't work. So we don't win over sinners through disgust. We win them over through love and truth. That's our strategy. All right. Even though um, there's a caveat to it in Galatians chapter 6, it says, Um, let he that is strong strengthen the weak. He says, but in doing so, watch your own self lest you be tempted. All right. So we must understand our own boundaries as we're going out, you know, to reach out to the lost lest we be tempted. Nonetheless, stop this um, attitude where we think nothing good can come out of people that we're trying to reach until they they embrace all that we're trying to um, preach to them. Do you understand? So, I think it was the late Nabil Qureshi who talked about his conversion from Islam. He said, even though he was having arguments with his Christian roommate every night, you know, on Christianity and Islam, he says, that was just one side to their relationship. He knew that this guy genuinely cared, cared for him and could take a bullet for him. You know, and we have to have that um that, that kind of mentality. Let me tell you something. It takes, you have to practice it. You have to practice it. So when you see someone who has effeminate tendencies, giving them a handshake is not an endorsement of sin. Working with them in the office is not an endorsement of sin. You you have to understand that, and so, um, like I said on Sunday, very important point you must never forget: homosexuality is a sin. Guess what is a sin also? Homophobia. When you just treat people like filth, all right, and that's also wrong. So you must you must normalize, all right? Reaching out to people with confident love, with the truth of God's word, not trying to disgust them into salvation. That's not, that's not the way we win souls, all right? This is very important for you to understand. However, there is another extreme that we must also um, understand. Let me tell you something. There is an intelligence in understanding sin and how it works. The more we um, condone sin or make excuses for it, the weaker our resolve to overcome it will be. So we must stand firmly on both legs. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, Listen you might not need to know this, but there are many people who have homosexual temptations that i have had the privilege to be there for years. I know about it. Listen, they have, guess what? Some of them, not some of them, there is none of them that my wife knows about. I don't share it with her. I don't share it with people. You know? And we just talk you know, maybe sometimes they come around, maybe even to the church. They come around and, you know, they can do stuff together, do, you understand? Every other thing they are good at, they are good at. So you must have the, the opportunity to, the, the understanding that these are, still, these are human beings, these are real people, okay? But at the same time, as gently and as confidently as possible, I still want to reach out to them you know, with the word of God to say, okay, what about this? What about this? And as many of them as are open to accountability, you know, I reach out to them. You know, some run away it makes no difference. But I don't think there is anyone who has ever encountered me with, you know, such an issue that can fault me on the parameters of love. No such person, you know. But when we have... This extreme where we don't just accept the people, we accept what they are doing for love's sake. We'll be doing something very dangerous to ourselves and to them. There is something the Bible calls hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. Hardness of heart is unpersuadableness. Let me break it down for you. One of the worst things that can happen to anybody is for the person to come to a point where you are faced with clear evidence, rebuking something you are doing, and you refuse to change. When you have a disposition of heart that hinders God from reaching out to you, to change you, to influence you, it's a very dangerous I'm going to teach on this more at Manifest Bible Course. I'm going to spend a lot of time explaining hardness of heart, giving you examples. I want to give you a very crude example um, in everyday life. Have you ever seen it where two people are about to have a fight and the match is not fair? You know, one is bigger, obviously stronger, but the smaller one just has a loud mouth. And everybody is saying, calm down, calm down. You know? And then the person is still talking, see, I will do this to you, you know? Or let's use real life, maybe professional fighting sports. All right. Sometimes, when someone receives a knockdown, or someone is um, dazzled, or something like that, they punch the person, and the person falls to the ground. The referee will count one, two, three. And if you don't stand up before a particular count, or even if you stand up, but you stood up late, but and the referee can see signs that you don't have coordination, the referee has the right to end the match. But sometimes, you see people, even after the match is ended, they want to fight the referee. Why did you? I can still do it. You know, there is this stubbornness that people have. Pharaoh. I know you think you're powerful. But then you saw someone who dropped a rod and his rod swallowed all the rods of your magician. End it there. Don't drag it. You know? And that's how hardness happens. You know, you're still like... "Mm." So, the person fighting, maybe who loses the fight, you say, I was not ready. Or maybe you're playing video games. Have you seen people you have to Beat them convincingly for them to agree, I'm better than you. That's how hardness of heart works. And I'm telling you, literally, there is usually that contest. When you enter that contest with God, now He's not working with you to save. You have made yourself an object of wrath. There are two categories in Romans chapter 9. I wish I had time to explain this to you. You're either an object of mercy. Receiving the entry of God. But when God says you are unpersuadable, instead of just you allowing you to be destroyed, he uses you as an example to teach generations. So you are now a reference point. All men can look at, look and remember Pharaoh. That's what, you, that's what you get. From that rod, Pharaoh would have ended it, but no until he found himself in the Red Sea. <laughs> and you see, this is such an important perspective. When it comes to sin, don't be unpersuadable. Let me, let me say this. I said this during the brief mini-camp meeting we had at Ibadan. I said, many people don't realize this, but the first teaching on overcoming temptation was done by God himself. This is going to bless you. You know, you know the story, Cain and Abel, things were still young on the earth. I mean, there were just few people on the earth, just literally just Adam, Eve, and two sons. And they were still learning the ways of God. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that people offered sacrifice to God and it was anything besides a lamb that had blood. Because that sacrifice was meant to typify or symbolize the death of Christ that was to come. But Cain did not understand that. Cain gave his crops. He thought it was just giving God, you know, what you have. Since Abel was was a, you know, had sheep and he gave sheep, I should also give what I have. And you don't serve God that way. You don't serve God the way he wants to be served. And so God had respect for Abel's sacrifice. And despised Cain's sacrifice. Typical example of what I'm saying. And this is what happens to many of us today. Now you do something wrong and you are corrected. You want to give God this. God says no. A reasonable person would have gone, carry lamp, do your own, simple. But Cain left angry. What right does God have to determine right and wrong? I can do what I want to do. I should be able to give what I want to give. I should be able to live how I want to live. You know, and then this is is the heart-wrenching part. God came to Cain. Hardness of heart is a terrible thing. God came to Cain and said, why are you angry? Have you seen people who are so angry, they begin to premeditate what they are going to do to the person that hurt them. And, you know, they have a lot of time to repent. God is reaching out to you to say, calm down, but you won't listen. You know, so God came to Cain in verse 6. I want to read that to you, Genesis 4, verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? You no, know, it's, it's so simple. You did the wrong thing. If you do well, you'll be Accepted. And then he said this, he says, and if you do not well, he says, sin lies at your door. This is something you must understand about sin. Sin has preliminary stages where it is easier to stop it. If Cain had listened to God when it was just anger, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have left, led to murder. That's the same. That's the thing. The fleeting thing about temptation is that you think that when you gratify it, it will go. That the best way to get rid of this sexual urge is to gratify it so that I can just, you know. But instead of going, it will grow. So, now God tells him, he says, sin lies at your door and it desires to have you. Sin doesn't play around. It's coming to control you. He says, but you must rule over it. This is not a game; it's a listen. It's about control. Paul explained this this way. He says the flesh was against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. It's it's about superiority. So when you get comfortable with sin at the door, it will break it open. It will come. It will rule in your house. That's how it works. So, if God says this is wrong, don't justify it. Let me tell you this human beings can justify anything. You know, I will never forget my reaction when um, one of the most notorious kidnappers ever in this country had been caught. He had his operations in FESTAC. And the kidnapper's wife and children recorded a video begging, (laughs) begging, crying and pleading for their daddy and husband to be left. It's incredible, listen, the woman knew what the man was doing, had no problem with it. The man made other wives cry, other children cry, and now he's arrested and you expect the public to have empathy. Now they're crying, our daddy, you know, and it's, it's incredible what we can justify. Because when we begin to make excuses for it, uh, he was just trying to feed us. He was just trying to put food on the table. The country is hard. There is hardly anybody that does anything wrong that doesn't have a good reason for doing doing wrong things. And some of those reasons are emotional, almost legitimate. But guess what? What is wrong is wrong. That's why I told you on Sunday, we must have a standard that is above our feelings. Otherwise, you know, you will open a can of worms if we live in a society where everybody does based on how they feel. I gave an example respectfully. How do you justify... And this is very sensitive, I know. But from a logical standpoint, intellectually, a guy says... I have feelings for only guys. It's not my fault. That's what I like. What else do I do? But a pedophile says, I have feelings for only children. It's not my fault. What do I do? How do you endorse one and abominate the other? When both are acting based on their feelings. It's it's logically inconsistent. It's inconsistent. The homosexual says I was born that way. The pedophile says I was born that way. I've always had a thing for children. And mark my words, there's already a growing movement. I, I saw some tweets some time ago that someone shared. Pedophiles are becoming bold. They're saying this is what we like and we should be accepted. And as laws are being passed in nations, endorsing one, that will be some form of legal precedence. Anyway. So, I'm just saying respectfully, and this is not insensitive to Like I said, don't forget all have sinned. We have our struggles. It's just like someone saying, I don't know why. I I can't stay with one woman. I, I, I tried. I can't stay with one woman. You don't justify the feelings, no matter how sincere he is. It's still wrong. So we must have Embrace the standard of the word of God above our feelings. And that's so important. Because when whatever you tolerate will grow and get stronger. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 from verse 26. Pay attention to this now. Romans chapter 1 from verse 26. It says, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. It, oh, He gave them up to vile affections. He says, for even their women did change the natural use into what is against nature. And likewise also, men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their own lust one toward another, men with men, walking that which is unseemly. So the Bible says it's unseemly unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was met. So the Bible says, uh, judgment is going to come. It says, even as they, they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a reprobate mind. This is how hardness of heart works. When God reaches out to you and you, you, you make excuses for the sin that you accommodate, then God leaves you. You become a vessel of wrath. He leaves you to wrath and to destruction. He says, He gave them up to a reprobate mind to do things which are not convenient. He says it's not convenient, it's unseemly. And here is something we need to know. Um, I keep referring to this, I think it's called gospel tunes. T-O-O-N-S, you know, on Facebook. They do cartoons illustrating biblical truth. And I saw this very beautiful. One where these two kids were on a field. And the field had a fence. And the instruction was, don't jump over the fence. And one of the children was like, it must be found at the other side. Why would they tell us not to jump over the fence? It must be found there. Just kept insisting on it. You know, and ran and eventually persuaded the other guy. So they ran towards it and jumped, and they discovered it wasn't just a fence, it was a barricade, because they were actually on a cliff, they just didn't know, so it was to protect them from the edge of the cliff, so as soon as they jumped, you know, now they found themselves going down, so many of us see the word of God as a restrictive fence, instead of as a protective barricade, We think that God is just obsessed with instructions. He just wants to make life difficult. Meanwhile, even if he left us to our desires, listen, that's what this text is saying. He gave them up to reprobate minds to do things which are not convenient. So if God doesn't reach out to a community to tell them what you're doing is wrong, that's because he wants them destroyed. That's what Jonah wanted. Don't send me to Nineveh to preach. Don't tell them what they are doing is wrong. Let them just die. Because guess what? Without rules, there's destruction. We will self-destruct. And then there is wrath at the end. And that's what I want to use, you know, the rest of this teaching to do. I want you to see that Beyond even um, the biblical argument on this subject, there is a secular argument. There is an intellectual reason why we must continue to teach the truth in love about homosexuality and um, speak out about it. Um, I found this very helpful video on YouTube you can check out. It is Secular Argument... Against homosexuality by Mike Winger you know a guy named Mike Winger so you can check that out so this these are some of the things that have been proven statistically let me tell you this from the things God created you can understand God's wisdom because Even biologically, he created us in ways to accommodate how his views on marriage. I wish I can give you examples. There's a reason why we have bones in the places we have bones. It's because we're supposed to have a structure. There's a reason why our eyes are at the front of our head because we're supposed to face fronts. From the brilliance of his design, we can tell that there is an intelligent designer. And when we break these rules, we see the repercussions, which is what Romans chapter 1 was saying. And I want to show you some of them. So, let me first, first point here. I want to talk about a disease called anal cancer. at the risk of sounding vulgar, you know, the the topic warrants it. Homosexuality, especially amongst men, makes people put things where they are not supposed to be put. And because God did not design the human body physiologically, to take that kind of plumbing, now there will be repercussions. So, um, homosexual men are 20 times more likely. That's a huge number. 20 times more likely to have anal cancer. And then it's even statistically, more when one of the partners has HIV, it becomes 40 times more likely to have anal cancer. It has also been found, listen, these statistics, interestingly, are not from Christian sites, they are from pro-gay sites. Warning, you know, Gay people warning themselves, oh, we need to watch out, or oh, these are the things statistically. So, these are not made up stuff. So, breast cancer is higher amongst lesbians statistically. Here is something that's going to blow your mind in the US. And why am I using US? Because Nigeria has no statistics. <laughs> Sorry, let's say the way you know, in the US. There are 50,000 new HIV infections every year in the United States. 50,000 new HIV infections. All right. And here's what you need to know. 78% of all HIV infections as a result of men having sex with men. Here is what you need to know. Only 2% of the entire population consists of men having sex with men. So, how... If 2% of the population accounts for 78% of the total HIV cases, that's high. That's incredibly high. It's also been proven that drugs and substance abuse are also on the increase amongst gay community or in gay communities, drugs and substance abuse. So those who self-identify as homosexuals were found to have used tobacco in the last 30 days, which is way more um, higher than you know regular people or heterosexuals. 75% of LGBT Association. Um, LGBT, by the way, in case you don't know, is short form for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. 75... uh, Sorry, did I say 75? 45% of the LGBT Association abuse alcohol. 51% of homosexual males abuse drugs. This is compared to 7% in... Um, heterosexual people. Also, amongst the homosexual community in the area, they suffer, they're more likely to suffer depression and suicide. See, here's the thing. Even, these, even if these are scientific facts, as a theologian, as, a, as someone who knows the word of God, I just read this and I know what is happening. There is something the Bible says. Jeremiah said, my people have committed two sins. God was speaking through him. He says, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewn for themselves systems that cannot hold water. Here is something. When you keep craving satisfaction from things that cannot satisfy, it leads you far more into depression. This is why It makes spiritual sense that depression and suicide is way higher in this community. And that's what I was telling you about hardness of heart. It just gets deeper and worse. Because what you keep chasing, you're never going to see. Now, here's here's also what you need to know. You know, some people say, "Um, Pastor, I don't really know what you're talking about. You know, there there are some popular phrases in in that community, like love is love. We just love each other. We want to marry, and you know, and all of that. It's part of what I'm saying. It always feels, you know, (laughs) some of you who are falling into temptation know what I'm saying. Have you ever told yourself, just this once? Just this once. Just this once. It doesn't go, it grows. I wish I could explain. I'm going to, I'm going to do a teaching on sin. It's called Kermatology. The study of sin. You have to understand how it works. It works with curiosity. When the serpent said, this tree will make you wise, now she wanted to know. The way she saw the tree was different. She saw it as one desirous to make one wise, which makes no sense. You can't tell what you will benefit from a tree when you eat it by looking at it. It was the perception of Satan that had, you know, just taken, got the best of our curiosity. Every time you gratify sin, not even gratify sin, you accommodate opinions that are contrary to the word of God. You allow the serpent to suggest to you. It awakens the curiosity. And that's why, you know, people who say, you know, I just want to settle down and get married and I don't really like, you know, the opposite sex. So can't I just... Here is what you need to know. So, 2,583 homosexuals were interviewed. And 21% of them admitted that they had had between 100 and 500 partners. You see, so, clearly, Statistically, in that community, it's not about sex- it's not about love. You see, statistically, it's a curiosity that will never end. 100 to 500 sex partners, this is 26, 21 percent, 21.6 percent. So, when you're talking about, you know, less than that, <laughs> almost everybody only 2.7% of them claim to have only had sex with one partner. Only 2.7%. Another study was conducted. And um, in that study in LA, in the late 1980s, homosexual men in particular Average more than 20 partners per year. Per year. Another three year study was done in Boston, Boston, in the late 80s. 77% of the homosexuals had more than 10 partners in the last five years. of them had more than 50 partners in the last five years. So, statistically, the concept of long-term relationships is almost non-existent, statistically in the homosexual community, statistically. I have so much to share with you, I have to wrap this up as soon as possible. And so, um, in one recent study, 41% of couples had an open sexual agreement that i mean you can you can do things with other people that's almost the only way they stay committed you can do things with other people so it's almost not non-existent you know there's a high risk of infidelity even amongst same sex partners and the ones who, are, who manage to stay together, it's not because they are faithful, but because they have an understanding. Then what, when you now talk about children, children, now someone will say, oh, technology, you know, you might have seen videos of men carrying babies scientifically and all of that. Technology has passed that. Well, how many people can afford that in the immediate, whether you like it or not. This is is going to really affect procreation. All right? At least in the immediate. And even if it doesn't, those of them who adopt children, which I have a lot to say about, you know, it's, it's been proven statistically that homosexual parenting fails on many counts. Statistically, it's been proven that it, it fails on many counts. All right? And here are some statistics. You have to understand, many of these statistics were done by non, non-Christians, unbelievers. There's a particular one who is agnostic. You know, borderline atheists. So this is not, you know, some Christians trying to um, bend data. This is. So one research was done, and then out of 80 evaluation measures, gay parents did worse on 78, 70, no, 70, 77 out of 80. And these were some of the um, things that were found. First and foremost, in the U.S., you know, 69% of lesbian mothers had children who eventually had to depend on welfare, the welfare system of the government, 69%. For gay fathers, 57%. Children of gay parents are more likely to suffer depression statistically. They've been arrested more often. Um, and they have more... <laughs> they have more sexual partners than those raised by biological parents. Have more sexual partners by, than those raised by biological parents. Children of lesbian mothers are nearly four times as likely and 25% of the children of homosexual fathers are three times as likely to identify as something other than entirely heterosexual. So... It looks like from generation to generation, it gets wilder. It gets wilder. Children raised by lesbian mothers are 10 times more likely to be victims of sexual abuse. 10 times! Listen, 10 times is not 10% more. I hope you... I hope you understand the arithmetic. Not 10% more likely, but 10 times more likely. 23% of them reported this versus 2% of children of biological parents. You also talk about you know, hunger for biological parents, children having hunger for biological parents, you know, so you have children with IVF, you know, and they start asking, where's my daddy? Why did not my daddy like me? And all of that, there's that curiosity. Can I write him a letter? You know, and all of that. And then when you talk about, maybe statistically, lesbian couples, two women trying to raise children, Statistically, there are a lot of problems with that. Because children need their father. Statistically. Children need their fathers. We know that fathers excel in reducing antisocial behavior and delinquency in boys and sexual activity in girls. Children need their father. There's a recent study of father absence on girls, found that girls who grew apart from their biological fathers were more likely to experience early puberty and teen pregnancy than girls who spent their entire childhood in intact in an intact family. So, so this um, research was done by a man named called David Popino Pope. And N-O-E. (laughs) All right? So you can check that out if you want. And his research showed that a strong marriage provides a model for girls to know what to look for in a man. To know what to look for in a man. And gives them the confidence to resist the sexual entities of their boyfriend. Also, children need their mothers. See, I'm a very present father. In fact, just an hour before I was supposed to leave for church, still preparing and praying, my daughter, my older daughter brought the storybook and said, Daddy, read to me. And I couldn't say no. So I put my Bible aside and I started reading. But as close as we are, I'm not their mother there is a kind of patience that women have that men don't you know i'm a pastor i'm a man of god but you get the way you know sometimes i just like and anyway women um children need their mother They, they need the emotional statistically they need the emotional security And in reading the physical and emotional cues of infants, you see, I think it was three weeks ago. I didn't tell my wife this, but I was thinking that God, even not for my wife, you know, my children would have been close to death, and I won't even know. The way she can just speak, just small symptoms. Ah, we better have her checked. You know, and they go to the hospital and they check. You know, me, ah, it's not cough. You uh, you drank cold water. You know. You know, this is serious. Listen, women are naturally nurturers. Listen, you have to understand, just by our propensity, you know there is an intelligent designer behind this. There is a way God designed marriage to be. You, You have to lack objectivity to ignore this, this is very apparent, this is very clear. So women give daughters, just imagine a girl growing up without a mother. Women give daughters unique counsel as they confront the physical and emotional and social changes associated with puberty and adolescence. Imagine a father, no mother. Then your wife, your daughter begins to menstruate. Problem. Anyways, I just want to say this. For the uptenth time, this is not in any way Um, suggesting superiority. And I feel like there is a kind of empathy that um, Christians need to have. Because uh, the ones you are struggling with, like I said, you're struggling. Do you understand? So there is a type of empathy we, we must have and we must all remind ourselves no matter how unique our temptations are of what christ has done and how we fight i just want to end with the text from ephesians chapter 2. it says and you he made alive from verse 1 who were dead in trespasses and sins He says in which you once walked According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in children of disobedience. It says, amongst whom we all conducted ourselves in the loss of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So, he talking about the propensity of a natural man, so in sins, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, you know, no restraints. Nature children of wrath, even as others then he tells you what God has done about that. He gave his son to die. This is God's intervention. He says, but God who is rich in mercy, in his mercy and his, in his great love, he says, even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together in Christ. So by faith in Christ, first and foremost, the blood of Christ has blotted all our sins. If you will just believe, he says, in the 8th verse of this, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God. So you can place your faith in Christ for salvation. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of, not of works, lest any man should boast. The blood of Jesus is enough. You place faith in his blood. And then what's more, you receive his spirit. You were raised together with him made to sit together with him in heavenly places. And because of that, temptations don't always have to lead to action. In this context, there is a difference between homosexual temptation and homosexual behavior. It is no longer irresistible. And the fact that it never really disappears does not mean you are not winning. until we receive our new bodies, we will still have to overcome temptations. Guess what? Even the Son of God was tempted at all points, the Bible says, yet without sin. You will be tempted. So it shouldn't face you that you are tempted. But what you need to know, listen, understand, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, He has raised us up together with Him, made us sit together with Him in heavenly places. It says that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let me show you what Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It says, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. You have to believe that. You see, many times we are conscious of the sinful temptations we have but in christ there is another life force you need to be conscious of there is another law yes there is a law in you trying to draw you irresistibly to sin but now you have another agent in the holy ghost it says the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death so this is how god handled the sin problem he didn't really take um away The temptation, he just put a stronger influence. He put a stronger influence. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. He says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. What the commandments could not do. Thou shall not, thou shall not. It says God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Listen, you have to see what Jesus did on the cross as sufficient for handling the sin problem. When you look at all the temptations you are faced with, remember Jesus died. God is wise. He believed that what Jesus did will be enough. You must believe it too. His blood is enough. The cross is enough. Sin has lost its hold. Death no longer lives. We have the victory. Just spend a few minutes worshiping Him and thanking Him right now. This applies to all believers. No matter what you're dealing with the temptations you're faced with, Thank him for the cross. What there is the lamb that was slain. His blood is enough. What the law could not make you do. (laughs) The spirit of Christ has enabled you to do. Thank him right now. Thank him right now. Give him the praise and the glory. We thank you father. We worship you. We thank you. We have the victory, we have the victory, we have the victory, we have the... It says, if you then be reasoned with Christ, seek those things which are above. Meaning you have to exercise yourself in your new position. It says set your affection. The position is automatic, but the manifestation of that position is not. You have to do something, you have to align yourself with the position of your spirit set to affection it says for you are dead and your life is hid in Christ in God make these confessions right now it says if you walk after the flesh you shall die but if you through the spirit oh glory to God through the spirit through the spirit do mortify Mortify the deeds of the body. He said you shall live. I choose life in the name of Jesus. I mortify the deeds of the body. I bring it under subjection. I bring it under subjection in the name of Jesus. I offer myself living sacrifice Holy and acceptable unto God. Thank you, Father. Just thank him again and again. We worship you, Father. We give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, let me make you understand this. (laughs) There is something called the fight of faith. It's called a fight because it's not easy. And sometimes when we preach sermons like this, some, some people think, Pastor, you don't understand. And that's what you need to understand. The Bible lets us know. It says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as you are. And that's one thing you have to understand. There is no man of God who would teach a subject like this, who has not had to exercise his understanding of the same subject. In some area. One area or one another. So keep fighting. Keep trusting. Keep exercising your victory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 809 Nine nine six seven thousand blessings.